Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast, a member of the Charisma Podcast Network and the Edify Podcast Network. Speaking of which, download the Edify app today, E-D-I-F-I, in the App Store. Find a new great Christian podcast or listen to this podcast on there. In addition, you can listen to all the podcasts on the Charisma Podcast Network at cpnshows.com, and you can read the articles on the Charisma Magazine at charismamag.com. I have the privilege of writing two articles on there a month, so you can check those out as well. And finally, if you have not downloaded my free 14-day devotional, Eyes on Jesus, yet, what are you waiting for? It's been out for a couple months now, and you can get it for free at eyesonjesusdevotional.com. And you can also get it in the Version Bible app if you search for plans and then search for Eyes on Jesus. Well, for today, I'm so excited to talk to Gary Thomas. He has written over 20 books, and he is well-known in the relationship the marriage, parenting, world, and you've probably read his books or gone through a study, even if you do not recognize the name, and I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you today. Here we go. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. My guest today is Gary Thomas. He is the author of over 20 books that have sold over 2 million copies, have been translated in more than a dozen languages. He holds many fancy degrees, which I won't name them all. He serves as the teaching team at the Second Baptist Church in Houston and is also a faculty member at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas. Gary's speaking ministry is taking him across multiple countries on TV and radio, including Focus on the Family. He and his wife, Lisa, have been married 35 years. They have three adult children along with grandchildren. Welcome, Gary. How are you? Great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else you want to fill in on there in your bio? It sounds like a lot of awesome stuff, and I know you're you're major in your books and speaking, but... The education isn't quite as impressive as you made it sound. I have a master's. The doctorate <laughs> is honorary, so it wasn't hey. earned. But, hey. you know, so you Sounds upgraded awesome to me. me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Sounds awesome to me. So so tell us anything else about, you know, your family or just kind of growing up, how long you've been a Christian, kind of how did you get involved in ministry? I, I feel really blessed, Tim, in that I don't have memory of any life apart from the knowledge of God and experience mm. with God. I'm third of four children. I didn't always feel like I fit so well within my family. Part of it is I have two older brothers and a younger sister. And just as an adult now, I look at that family map and I look at the third born boy. And then, you know, the princess that comes along, who's an incredible <laughs> woman, just wonderful. But I would say to that boy, look, if you want to be noticed buy a dog and feed it, because <laughs> that's a crowded family. So I just needed God and he was there. Uh, yeah. And so from early on, my parents took me to uh, First Baptist Church in Puyallup, Washington. And one of my earliest memories is going up the back steps of that. I was baptized when I was eight. Mm. Uh, you know, I had, as we all do, those seasons of of wrestling, not with doubts. I've never really had doubts, but with my behavior issues. Am I going to live like Jesus is my Lord? But right. uh, throughout all periods of my life, I feel like I walked through it with him. And I, I feel... 
especially blessed because of that. That's awesome. So how did it go into, hey, I'm going to write and speak and, and be in ministry? How did that, that calling happen? Well, I, you know, I'm a man of very limited gifts. Uh, I don't do that great with numbers. <laughs> I uh, don't like to be in charge of people. Uh, I'm more of a people pleaser than an <laughs> administrator. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a mechanical idiot. Uh, I love sports, but was never gifted enough to be able to get paid to do it. All I really wanted to do was write. I started reading books early on again, I think, because I would just kind of go off to my room. I would just devour books. I, I, from the time I was eight years old, I wanted to be a writer of some type. And so I'm just really thankful to God more than you could know that this worked out because I don't know what other life I could have lived. And it's so hard to break into writing. It really is that I, I do see the hand of God in it and an act of his great mercy and, and kindness, because I'm, like I said, there's, I didn't really have a plan B just because I am <laughs> limited in what I can do. Well, that's cool. I mean, God has blessed it and, and you have 20 books. That's amazing. I mean, I've written one book and I know how hard that is. I mean, it's, it's definitely a labor of love a lot of times. And uh, so what would you say? I'm just curious from, from a writer perspective, you know, what is, how do you get that that vision from God for what you're going to write next? Is it is it does it come, you know, do you plan them out in advance? Do you have like here's my next three books planned or does it come like, you know, an inspiration in the moment? It's interesting. The vast majority of them when I'm really kind of getting to the end of the book I'm working on, I really get a sense of what I'm going to do next. Mm. But I kind of have to get into the latter stages for that. However, yeah. I've got notes for another three books that I'm working on right now that I really want to do someday. Mm. Um, the challenge for me has been just frankly, my, my marriage books have done so well. Yeah. The publisher wants you to stay there. Right. And I, <laughs> I'm burning to write some more spiritual formation books. I've done mm. a number of those, but they just don't move like the marriage books move. And so uh, publishers have, and, and I get it, it's a business, they have their sales numbers. So yeah. I am hoping to keep doing these books that will do well enough where my publisher will give me another chance to put out a couple spiritual formation books. Cause I, I have some that I feel like they're burning inside of me that I really want to get to. That's cool. And it's cool. It's cool to have just a vision of kind of what you want to do. And then sometimes what you're doing now and, and sometimes God puts things on the back burner and, and gives you a season where it's time to bring it to fruition. So, well, I've, I've, I've tried to pace myself. Um, this goes a little bit with your discernment in that I've, I noticed some guys when they started to write 20 or 30 or 40 books, they're rewriting the same book. Mm. They're putting a new title and they're updating it. In fact, this one guy I know, uh, I'm not going to but he had a new yeah. book out and I was with somebody and I said, okay, this, this is a new book. Open it up, go to the table of contents. Don't show me. Here's five of the chapters. Mm. And I nailed all of them were there. And wow. I, and I, cause I just knew, I knew where he was going to go with that topic. And um, so by going every other year, I've really given myself a chance to let the, the content catch up so yeah. that I'm writing because I feel like I have something I want to say. I haven't ever been in a place where, man, I have to write a book. What I want to write about that, that would be terrifying Right. To me, and so everybody says, "What do you do about writer's block?" And uh, you know, I've been writing professionally now for quarter of a century. I've never had it. I mean, mm. I don't. If, if you know, if you've got something, you got to get down on paper. I, I just, 
I, I don't I don't get. It. I mean, I guess if you're a novelist and and you're twisted, and you don't know wh- where to go because you you're not sure what happened next. That might be one thing. But for the kind of writing I've done, I just it hasn't been a part of me. That's great. So far, yeah. maybe just God's mercy. <laughs> well, I think you know. I I often think you know. It seems like well, at this point with the amount of literature out there in books, it's like everything's been said at this point, it feels like, but then, you know, that's not the case. And so a lot of times, at least for me, it comes from inspiration. And I think about it in like, because I do a lot of social media postings every day. And a lot of times I'm just like, what else can I say that's already been said? And so that's when it comes in time to put a quote out there. Someone else says it better than I can, you know, so I think we piggyback a lot on on concepts and, and things, but we can repackage it in a different way and for a current audience. Cool. So I want to move on to some icebreakers, get to know you a little bit. So what would you say your favorite movie of all time is? Well, can I have four? <laughs> I'm older than you, Tim. Yes. I, I've been watching movies. I, you know what? I, I've loved Godfather 1 and 2. I'll watch them every few years. I yeah. just think they're uh, great. And I think I'm not putting Godfather 3 on there, but I, I think it's much better than its reputations. But I don't know mm. why it got panned. I think yeah. maybe because the first two were so good, but I, I don't think it's that bad. Um more recent, I, I love About Time. It's a very sentimental movie, but just as a dad, um, man, it it gets me. Uh, what's that? Um, I forgot who's in that one. It's I, I don't know the guy's name. He, I don't know if he's been anything else. He's got red hair. And then Rachel McAdams oh, okay. is the female lead. Um, but the guy is not, uh, I, I don't know if he's, I'm sure he's been in something else, yeah. but it was really the the story that Kel tells. It's sort of about time travel where dad can go back and oh, yeah. relive moments with his son. And uh, just, uh, I, I, it's a sweet movie. It's very sentimental. And then, you know, just growing up, I loved Chariots of Fire because mm. I was a runner yeah. and I loved God and seeing those two together uh, was very inspirational for me. Oh, very cool. What would you, uh, you've met a lot of people. What would you say if you could meet anyone alive or dead, who would it be and yeah, why? I, you know, and people just going to say this is such a cliche, but I can't tell you what I would give for 15 minutes with Jesus <laughs> just, mm. just to say, boy, okay, I want to know this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. And they say, okay, accepting Jesus. And I would say, Paul, I, I don't, mm. I, I know Paul is not so popular these days. It's almost like even Christians are kind of downplaying him because they don't like what yeah. he's saying. But when I look at his commitment and his perseverance, the only man other than Jesus to have actually seen what heaven is like while he was alive, I think his commitment, his fire, mm. his passion, I, I would just love to get Paul's take on what's going on and, and how we should understand his words. And I feel like I could get a lot of theological arguments yeah. uh, <laughs> cleared up right there. So, I, I mean, I would put Jesus and Paul right at the very top. Yeah, there was that movie recently about Paul that came out with Jim Caviezel. I think he played. I saw Luke. that. Yes. Yeah, that was that was so good because it really brought to light a lot of Paul's struggle with accepting his salvation after all he did that was right. persecuting the church. And we don't yeah. think about that, you know, because you know, but he was human. He had the doubts. He had the same kind of stuff that we go through. And he even said he was a chief of sinners because I think it was really hard to accept that grace, even though he did you know, we all have our struggles and challenges. And so I also find it strange that Christians tend to choose Paul over Jesus and vice versa. It's like, we don't have to pick and choose people. We can just, 
it's one Bible, it's one word of yes, God, and they don't contradict each other. And we don't have to pick sides. You know, Paul even said, do you, do you serve me or, or Apollos? And it's like, he, he would be the first, but yeah. here's the thing, Tim, you know, we've often said we've never really seen somebody fully live Christianity. And I think DL Moody said it's, you know, that we've just not, I, I don't know. That's true. I, I don't know how you live it more than Paul lived it. Yeah. Uh, f- financially sacrifice, accepting persecution, celibate at that point in his life to be sold out as a model Christian life who says to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain, who did live that way. Um, I I don't know. I I don't know how people could challenge Paul. I I don't, I'm going to choose Paul over modern critics. Let me put it that way. Yes, exactly. All right. What about a favorite uh, author or a book you would recommend to the listeners? Yeah. Can, can I go two different authors? One sure. fiction, one nonfiction. For fiction, I love Susan Howitch. Unfortunately, she retired about 10 years ago, broke my heart. I wish she would come back out of it. But her novels, especially the Starbridge series, are just brilliant. She she endowed a chair at Cambridge for the study of psychology and religion. Uh, her books are theologically informed, but psychologically astute. Uh, I just I just love her style of writing. I love her passion. If people go out, I'm going to tell them that gets a little bit colorful because she does deal with sexual issues at times. That might turn some people off. So if it is, mm-hmm. don't don't go there. But uh, I think she's a brilliant writer. And for nonfiction, and again, I'm sorry to sound like a cliche, but I think every nonfiction writer will tell you it's hard to top C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for quotes, yeah. uh, he just when he would deal with the subject, it's just like. Uh, and, but if I'm preparing a sermon. <laughs> If I'm preparing a sermon, my heart beats faster if I know Spurgeon has preached on that passage, because Spurgeon is always good for some very great insights as well. Very true. Yeah, a lot of classics. And there's so much depth in reading those books. It's not just a casual read I have found. It's like, I need to take these two pages and really dissect them and and think about them for 30 minutes before I move on. Absolutely. Awesome. What do you do in your free time, hobbies? Well, I could do better here. Uh, I'm... I'm kind of boring. I'm, I run, I've run all my life. I like, like to do marathons. Um, I haven't the last couple of years, but I'm always feeling like I'm trying to train for one. And then um, I read. So, and, and I'll watch some movies or whatnot, and I will watch some sports teams and, and whatnot. So um, I really could do a lot better on hobbies. It's just uh, with being on the teaching team at second Baptist and having my own books and speaking yeah. ministry, I, I work a lot. Hey, it's no hard judge, for me. To no judgment here. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to move on to the discernment questions. I ask all my guests a time you had godly discernment in a specific situation and not just what the situation was about, but kind of what you, how you knew it was discernment from God, kind of what factors played into that and kind of how you knew to follow it. And then we can move on to a time you did not have godly discernment about a decision. Yeah. Well, this is, <laughs> uh, I'm probably the the worst guess for you to have on this because if you were to rate spiritual gifts, I think I could have to put everyone above discernment. <laughs> um, I just if if it's a clear thing in scripture, okay, yeah. that's what I should do. But trying to apply it, Tim, I'm just I'm just not very good at it. <laughs> I I don't have a lot of security. I don't have a lot of confidence. Um, you know, I think the one thing when I decided to become a full time writer. Because I really believed God had called me to become a writer. 
but the thought of becoming self-employed was, was terrifying. Nobody mm. in my family had been self-employed. Yeah. I ran numbers charts for months on end. Okay. If I can earn this much writing magazine articles and this much for books and this much for speaking, just trying to uh, get, but it was terrifying because my wife uh, was staying home with the kids. She didn't want to get uh, another job. So a hundred percent of the household income was on me. So I couldn't just do it because I wanted to do it. So I'd had my second book contract, some other promised work. I had some magazine articles that were flowing, some speaking engagements. And um, I was able to match my income the first year and actually start to exceed it uh, going forward. But that was just, it it took a lot for me to step out. And I, I, uh, I, I sought counsel Mm. From uh, my seminary professor, I sought uh, from pastors, from from friends who had been through it, yeah. really went through the numbers. But there was never a time when I did it without fear. Sure. I, I, it, it's hard for me to say discernment is <laughs> I'm confident in my discernment. It's yeah. usually the opposite. Well, that's so good because I think a lot of times we think that if we have discernment, that means that the entire path before us is laid out. And a lot of times it's just the next open door. You walk through that door and then now you have another decision to make, or now things become more clearer because you can see behind you, you can see things in perspective. And a lot of times God calls us to move on faith. Uh, my pastor recently told me it's it's a lot like Indiana Jones walking along that uh, path that's invisible. But once he takes the step, then the path appears. And that really struck me because that's a lot of times when we make discernment, a lot of times we step out in faith, knowing that God's calling us to take that step and then the path will appear. And, you know, there's many times we can run the numbers and have a, a, a great perspective on what decision to make. And and we have the wisdom of the Bible. And like you said, godly relationships and mentors that can spur us on and to make the right decision. But I don't think we'll ever have 100% clarity in making decisions because if we did, we'd be God. And so a lot of times we just have to move in faith and then, you know, the, the pieces kind of fall into place. Where, where I think um, I found with the younger generations that can be, that they need to wrestle with when they're thinking about discernment is they think that if God calls them, he makes it easy. Mm, Yes. And in my experience, that's not, God might call you to do something that is really difficult. And when I became self-employed, I had some excruciating moments. In fact, at one point we just needed to get some money and I would work at these book tables. There's this guy, he owned a Christian bookstore and he couldn't make it. So he shut it down and he started doing book tables at Amway conferences. Mm. I don't know if they still have those, but back then these things would be like 10,000 people might be at these things all weekend. And he would sell more books because he put in some Christian books, but then the business books and their inspirational books and whatnot. And I would go and set up the book tables and sell books. And, but it's because they were open all day. I mean, it was like 16, 17 hour days and I wouldn't make that much, but we really, needed the money. I remember one time just moved to tears. God, why does this have to be so hard? And I thought, well, if I'm doing what God wanted me to do, he's going to make it easy. And then I realized in the Bible, there's no promise that God makes it easy. And when you look historically, easy is unusual. Yeah. (laughs) But don't, don't judge your discernment necessarily by the outcome that everything fell into place. Mm. You might still have to break down a door. If the door is closed, somebody says, find a window. Well, sometimes you got to break down the door. And yeah. I, I, I think that's what I would really encourage some people 
if they've made that leap, don't assume that you're not going to have to work twice as hard as you think you will. Yeah. And a lot of times God just points in a direction and then it's up to us to, you know, take those steps and make those decisions. Sometimes even in our just earthly knowledge to, to pursue that path, even though we may not know what the end goal is or what the path looks like past, you know, it's, it's just murky. We can't see in front of us. And I don't necessarily love the saying, but it's, you know, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. And you know, it's true to life, isn't it? Don't you it, think? It is true. Like, you know, God honors faithfulness. He honors good stewards. And a lot of times the blessings that come from being faithful and being a good steward is not the blessings we think, or they come over time. And, you know, there's such a misconception like, well, if I follow God, then I'll have all these blessings, which includes money and all these things that, and so it's, it's a tricky thing because there is a blessing that comes when you are faithful and your tithe and your talent and your, and all these things, but it's not just a cut and dry. Okay. I did it. God, now where's my reward? You know, it it may come over years and it may, may never come. You never know. Yeah. You know, I've been reading through first and second Chronicles again, and Solomon's wealth is unbelievable in fact some modern estimates put it at two trillion mm, wow. that the gold alone that he had when they add up the weights in gold was over 60 billion just on on gold and and that was god's will i'm going to prosper you you're going to be more prosperous than anybody ever has been or anybody ever will and then you have jeremiah a faithful servant of god thrown into a cistern yeah. never saw his ministry appreciated had his writings thrown into the fire by a king just mm. as soon as they were read they were both in the will of God. Yeah. One enormously wealthy with, you know, more women to sleep with than he could. Yeah. If he had three a day, it would take him a year to get through. <laughs> yeah. And yet um, we don't get to choose our times and we don't always get to choose our circumstances. Yeah. We're just supposed to choose where God's pointing us. I just read an ax and, and I'll move on to the next question, but I just read an ax, you know, when Paul was broken out of prison and it's used a lot in like, oh, well, God's going to give you a breakthrough. He's going to break you out of your situation. But the, at the very beginning of the chapter, I forget what chapter it was. It might've been eight or nine. Um, the very beginning of the chapter, it says that, that Herod beheaded, I think it was John Mark, right, right before. And then he threw Paul into prison and then Paul got broken out. And so here we have someone who was beheaded and then someone who, was, who had eventually martyred, but who had a breakthrough in the moment. And so, like you said, we never know when our time's up. And as long as we just stay faithful to what we're called to do, then, then we're honoring right. God. And so great reminder for everybody. This podcast is part of the Edify podcast network. Edify is a faith inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Cool. So uh, can you think of a time that maybe you didn't have such great discernment and kind of what you learned from it? Yeah, well, I was led to move out of frustration. It was a job decades ago. I had a very toxic coworker who was making my life miserable. And I just said, I'm, I'm done with this. I didn't have a backup plan. But I said, you just, I just got to get away from this. And I'd actually written up a letter of resignation, put it on the um, boss's desk. Uh, and the boss never saw it because mm. God woke me up that morning and says, I'm, you're not done here yet. Mm. And so I got up and I'm so thankful I got in and took that letter away because Tim, <laughs> a couple weeks later, 
a publisher from Thomas Nelson was coming into town to sell it was a nonprofit organization. They would try to encourage ministries to use their books as premium. So you give $25 to the ministry, you get this copy of a book. Well, our our president was busy. He said, hey, Gary, would you meet with them? I said, sure. That was my entry into my first publishing contract. Oh, wow. And I look back now, and it is so impossible to get a meeting with an acquisitions editor. And this mm. guy got it for me. And I just think if I would have left that letter on there, if I acted <laughs> rash, it was just like, I just, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. Um, but I'm thankful that God woke me up early and said, get that letter off there. You're not done because who knows? I, like I said, I can't imagine another life. And it's one of those things where it was literally just weeks after I pulled that letter back and I would have never had that meeting. It's the equivalent of us writing a, an email in our, in the heat of the moment. And then we delete it, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. which I've done before. And, it's like you have little discernment thinking on emotion and then you're like, oh, what's going to be the consequence if I send that? So, yeah, cool. So let's move on to your book, uh, Sacred Marriage, um, and talk about uh, what you say in there is that, you know, we often think about the purpose for marriage is happiness, but that it's actually holiness. Can you elaborate a little bit on what yeah. that, that book's about? Well, the, the, the actual subtitles, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy. Mm. It sometimes gets flipped around that I'm arguing against happiness and holiness. In the second edition, when it came out, I was able to clear this up by quoting from John Wesley, who I think nails it when he said, I've never met anyone happy who's not pursuing holy. Mm. And if you think about it, I think that's undeniably true. If you talk to somebody who's addicted, they have moments of pleasure yeah. And moments when they're mind numbed in their acting out, but their shame, their shame, their misery, they pay for the minutes with hours of shame and depression and, and all the stuff that follows. If you have somebody who's uh, materialistic, they're never satisfied. If you have somebody who's negative, they're never happy. They're not encouraging others. And so if we're not dealing with our sin, we're not living happy lives. Holiness really preserves mm. our happiness. Happiness is a byproduct, I believe, that comes from living your life according to holy principles. And mm, so good. if you shoot for holiness, I think you get both. If you shoot for happiness at the expense of holiness, I think you you undercut the foundation of happiness and you end up bringing a lot of misery into your life. If I look back in my 58 years, most of the misery in my life has been brought I, I, I can't say all people do terrible things to you, sure. but a lot of the misery has been come whenever I deviate from God's original plan. If I would have listened to God's voice, discerned what he was really saying and been obedient and surrendered to that, I think to that extent, I will have even more happiness. And so um, it's, it's appreciating your marriage for helping you become like Christ. And, mm. and the two things that I think really helped it to take off. Um, one, I admitted the difficulty of marriage. So many Christian books were just talking about here are the five spiritual principles to improve your marriage, to fix it, to make it better. Here are the six keys or whatnot. Yeah. And I came along, this was in 2000, it was first published. I said, you know what? Even the best of marriages are difficult. Mm. Some marriages are more difficult than others, but there is really no such thing as an easy marriage. Now that's been controversial 
fact, I even had a debate with a guy about five years ago at a national conference for marriage ministry leaders in Dallas, and I knew it was coming. So in preparation, I was at this large conference of mine in, in Idaho. They had a thousand people there, 500 couples. So I said, I want everybody to stand up. And I, and I said, I want you to remain standing if your marriage has been easier than you thought it would be. <laughs> Five couples were left standing. Wow. Now, even as an English major, I can do that math. That's 1%, right? Yeah. But it was less than that because afterwards, a couple came up to me and said, Gary, we have a confession to make. I said, what's that? And they go, well, we're one of the couples that were standing. And I said, Anne, we've only been married 10 days. <laughs> I thought, okay. Yeah. You, you, you probably don't, you don't count. count. So maybe it's yeah. less than 1%, but it's just, but the best things in life, Tim are difficult. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure launching this podcast, there were a lot of reasons why you shouldn't <laughs> do it. Learning to yeah. play an instrument, mastering that instrument, uh, building a business, going through the regulations, getting your plan, getting the revenue, putting in the work. The best things in life are difficult. That, yes. to me, that doesn't make it negative. That actually gets me excited. And so, if I'm thinking, well, marriage is going to be like that because it's so fruitful, it's got so much potential, it's going to be difficult because I'm going to see not just my spouse's sin, but my sin. I'm going to have to learn how to put someone's needs above my own. To love someone like Christ loves a church who gave himself up for her. If anybody wants to tell me that's easy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't want to <laughs> say they're lying, but I like, well, then you are so much holier than I am. I can't even imagine it because I, I don't look forward to crucifying myself every day on behalf sure. of someone else. Mm. And, and, and so I think admitting that difficulty just is what helped the book just launch because people say, oh, Somebody's saying it, but then, and this was the second key thing is out of that difficulty, God can do something wonderful. Amen. Shape us to become like Christ. And because I love the Christian classics, I've been reading the Christian classics all my adult life. Today's church is obsessed with salvation. Who gets into heaven and who doesn't? The classics are obsessed with holiness. Yeah. How do we become more like the Christ we worship and serve and love? And, and so when you value the pursuit of holiness, as scripture calls us to, Peter says, you know, add to your faith, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, yeah. knowledge, self-control, all of those things, um, that then you appreciate marriage on a whole new level. It's mm. not pleasant to have your pride exposed, yeah. to see your selfishness, to see your laziness, all of the things that you have. But it's spiritually beneficial. And if I want to become more like Christ, then I appreciate that about marriage. I go to my, my marathon training. If you really want to prepare to run a marathon well, you've got to have your long distance runs, which are a challenge on their own. You're on your feet for two or three hours. You've got to have your tempo runs. And those, they just hurt because you're running slightly faster than race pace for long enough for it to hurt. Yeah. And then you've got your speed workouts where you're running a lot faster than you'd run race pace, but not so long. And then you take a break. All of those are their own kind of difficulty. You know, the long runs, it's just going and the soreness in your legs, the tempo, do you have the guts not to quit the, the intervals, do you keep up the intensity and nobody looks at people running a marathon and saying, oh, this is fun. This is easy. There's yeah. no pain. The reason 
people cry at the end of finishing a marathon is because it wasn't easy. They accomplished something. Mm. So I don't get why we expect marriage to be easy. I think the reason people can cry in their 50th anniversary is it wasn't easy, but it was good. And I'm so glad I did it. That's so good. And there's so many good analogies with committing to something. And yet in marriage, you know, how many people say, well, I'm not happy anymore. And so we're just going to end it to find something that makes me happy. But that's like you said, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to pursue God together and to be holy together. I did a video online and one of the first things I said is what happened to holiness? And that's a whole other topic in the church is we don't talk about holiness. We just talk about salvation, but that's a starting point in the race. And we have a long journey to go before we hear well done, good and faithful servant. And so, you know, we get so stuck on the starting point. We forget the call that we have to be holy as he is holy. And that I, I think too, like, well, be perfect as Christ is perfect. Well, I'm never going to be perfect. So why try? And that's just giving up. Like that doesn't mean we give up. That means we try harder because there's, there's a blessing at the end of that promise. And so I think that's really good. And so what would you say with the, with the sacred marriage book you wrote 20 years ago? What if, what have you learned since then? And also, you know, you talked to a lot of married couples. What do you see in a married couple that's maybe going through problems? What's the difference between a couple that makes it work through the hard way versus a couple that just kind of gives up? Yeah. I I think overwhelmingly what I see in my own life and the lives of others is that we think if we make a wise choice, marriage should be easy Mm -hmm. and everything falls into place that we don't have to work at it. And I I can just hear people sign, Tim, when I say you've got to work at your marriage, but it's true. Look, again, training a marathon, if you keep, if you skip four out of five of your training runs, you're not going to get faster as a marathoner. If you don't do four or five things to build your marriage relationship, you're going to become more distant. If you don't wash your body more than once a week, you're going to start to stink. Uh, If you have one conversation with your kid a week, you're not going to have an intimate relationship. But we think as parents, because we are as as married people, if we live in the same house, we eat some meals together, that somehow our marriage is going to grow. And the reality is it it doesn't. We have to be intentional. We need spiritual motivation. Everything is different. I just finished writing a book on sex with a with a co-author. And we, we just talk about how sex has to be reinvented in every season of marriage. When you first be, are married and you're first becoming sexual, there's a whole issue of, it, you know, it first are, are things working. You might have to figure out how to make things work mechanically. But once you do, you've got the sexual chemistry there. You often don't have to work at desire. Everything's falling into place. Um, then there's a challenge when you have toddlers, you're going through pregnancy. There's just, you you got the hormone things going on. (laughs) There's a challenge as you get older, you got teenagers who stay up later than you do and maybe (laughs) share a wall with the master bedroom. And so yeah, that challenge. And then you get older and you have the age related issues, ED with the husband or the wife is going through (laughs) menopause. And and, and so, I mean, every season of it, if you want to be sexually intimate and enjoy that aspect of your marriage, You have to reinvent your sexual relationship over and over. And yet a lot of sexual therapists will tell you the high point of sexuality as far as in marriage is about year 20 because you've learned each other, you understand each other, you you get each other, you know how to work with each other. And so it's worthwhile going through those seasons. There's a big payoff, but 
what I tell guys is if we aren't pursuing our wives, mm-hmm. we're becoming strangers because everything about life changes a wife. Uh, having kids dramatically changes her. Not being able to conceive children dramatically changes her. Yeah. Getting older changes a wife. Losing a mother or father, uh, her, her vocational aspirations, frustrated or success, both of them will change. It's just our spouses are continually changing, but we lose curiosity. You know, in, in dating, it's, well, tell me what you think about this, or how do you feel about that, or what are you going through with that? But in marriage, we assume because we're seeing it, mm. there's nothing to be curious about, and that kills our marriage. It's a curiosity that provides so much excitement and intimacy and, and sense of being known yeah. in marriage or in dating, that, that we have to keep that up to bring it into marriage. Otherwise, we're going to drift apart. That's so good. And, you know, I go back to the pursuing thing, you know, everyone wants to be pursued. And a lot of times we just sit back and wait for the other person to do it. And you have a stalemate, Well, you have to be the one that's engaging. You have to be the pursuer sometimes in order to get pursued yourself. And so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a give and take. And there's different seasons where you may be the only pursuer for a while and maybe the other person will. And so it's, it's, it's a balance and, you know, it's not an equatable uh, equation, I guess, for in marriage, you know, you can't just say, well, you know, it's a 50-50, you do 50%. Well, sometimes you're doing 90% and then sometimes the other person's doing 90% because it's just like you said, that season that you're in. Okay, I wanna, I wanna help the guys here since you, you brought it yeah, up. Do it. One of the things I hear so often for wives in regards to this is why are we the only ones that are trying? They asked me to come to their church because I wrote a book for women, it's called Loving Him Well. Mm. And they said, why do we read 10 marriage books for every one our husband reads? <laughs> and one woman said, I gave my husband a marriage book and the, the bookmark hasn't moved in three months. <laughs> so guys, they're checking to see that. Yeah. If guys really want their wives to feel loved hearing this podcast, go get a marriage book. Mm. Go to your wife and say, I want us to read this again. When we're driving along, you can read it out loud or I'll read yeah. out whatever, or we listen to it on tape, but I want us to be able to learn how to love you. I've got, you know, you mentioned sacred marriage. I've done another book called Cherish and one called A Lifelong Love. I, I'm just telling the guys what it would mean to their wives yeah. if they would take the initiative and say, I want to try. Yeah. I know you've been trying. Here, let me try. Some of your wives will cry. Mm. Tears of joy (laughs) at that one gesture. Yeah. Great advice. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, often we even do that, you know, my wife and I will read a book together and then we'll read books separately. And it's such a great way to be connected over a common topic, which is growing the marriage. So cool. So real quick, um, you wrote sacred parenting also. So talk about, you know, just some tips for parents, you know, as we go through our journey together, once again, there's different stages, there's different phases of parenting, just like there is in marriage. So you know, what can, what, what, what advice would you just have in the brief minutes we have left to, to parents that you've kind of uh, laid out in your book? Yeah, well, Sacred Parenting isn't a how-to parenting book. I'm, that's just not me. I'm not yeah. a psychologist. Uh, there are a million things I think I could have done better as a parent, to be honest. Sacred Parenting is really about how God uses parenting to change you. Mm. And so my perspective is to be the best parent you can be make your priority with God. Number one, grow in the Lord. Let your kids see that you delight in God's word, that you delight in prayer, that you enjoy being part of a church community and that you're different because of it. I was always committed. 
because my son had some non-Christian friends. Does he see a difference in the way his non-Christian friends' dads treat their spouse than the way his dad treats his mom? Mm. I, I, do we look at money differently? Do we have a different way of treating them? I wanted him to see that Christ makes a difference in a marriage and in a home. You can't fake that. We can't fake anything with our kids or in our house 24 hours a day. So you, I would say make your relationship with God paramount every day. You need more time in prayer, not less. You need more time in the word. And second, then emphasize your marriage. Um, I want my daughters to see that they want a man that treats their mom, that treats them the way I treated their mom. I yeah. mean, that, I, I'm showing them this is what you should expect. So that if they married, or if they were dating a jerk, they would think that's not how guys are supposed to treat their girlfriends. Yeah. And, and they would smell a rat and, and they would get far away. And so um, I, I think those are the two things. But then also learning, it's not just about helping our kids behave. God uses our kids to help us behave. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I have never been as angry or as fearful than I have been in my role as parents. Yeah. You're so angry because you care so much. Mm. I've done this for you. Don't do this. Don't throw your, I mean, don't put yourself at risk like that. And then fearful, I, you know, oh, I can't believe that you would. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, both the anger and fear come from immense, deep care. And so it just pulls emotions out of me. I never knew I had and learning to surrender that to the Lord and, and, and grow in the Lord. It was, uh, I, I just want parents to mine the riches that come from being a parent, not just for getting your kids to behave, but how God is using your kids to help you behave. That's really good. And there's so many parallels. As a writer myself, I've, I've written blogs just on my situations I've been in as a parent and also like the relationship as God, as our heavenly father that we see as parents is like, well, you know, even though I'm a quote adult, I'm still a spoiled brat kid sometimes to God. And I'm sure he's as frustrated as I, as I am with my kids right now, you know, so yeah. a lot of good parallels there. So awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for coming on. If you just want to let everyone know where they can connect with you and get your books. Sure. Uh, the easiest way is through my website, GaryThomas.com. It's GaryThomas.com. I have two blogs, one on Closer to Christ it's about spiritual formation. One is closer to others, where I write to married people, occasionally to singles, uh, just on how that impacts our relationships, all, all of the marriage things I've done. Um, and they could read about all the books there. There's some videos they can look at and whatnot, or where I'm going to be speaking again, if churches ever open up <laughs> again, uh, they can look at the schedule and, and, and see where I might be. And that's also got the links to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. GaryThomas.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Everyone check it out. Once again, thank you for coming on. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. That would mean the world to me. And as always, check out the show notes for links to my guest and also to links for things that I am doing. And for next week, I am beyond excited because this next week will have John Eldridge on the podcast. Yes, that's correct. The John Eldridge, author of Wild at Heart and many other awesome books. He's going to be on, and I cannot wait for you to listen to it. Until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.